Welcome everybody to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host Donovan Beery, and I have with me Jill Rizzo and Brian Wetgen here from Omaha. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and, thank you. And you guys just opened. Now you both, Jill, Jill, you've been in the design community for since since I've been here in Omaha. A long time. For a while. That's the perfect way <laughs> to put it. Since I've been here. <laughs> and Brian and Brian, I've known since just shortly after I've been here. I guess I guess design, but also but more development. Or, or I mean, how how do you guys how do you say that? Do you say you know, developer, I, designer? I I'm definitely stronger on the development side of things, but I've got a good appreciation for how things should look and the skills and contributions that designers bring to the mix. Okay, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Together, and how long have you just been married? Oh gosh, twelve, 12 years. years. Yeah. Okay, and <laughs> see, we can even say. At I also looked at him to say twelve. <laughs> Yeah. I, I do like that. There was a there was a eye contact. Of, see, like who's gonna break first? I better like, not get this wrong. Yeah. Or if or if I get this wrong, will they even know? That, I think that's what the eye contact is about. Like you can just start making it up. It's like that, that Saturday Night Live skit with Fred Armisen and Kristen Wiig, where they're both trying to lip sync to the same thing at the same time, but they don't know what they're gonna say. That's how but they we look work. at each other for the guidance yeah. on what's gonna come next. Yeah. Okay. 12 years. Okay. <laughs> and just recently, and by recently I mean within a year or two, you guys have, and, and you guys both still, Jill, you still design, Brian, you still do development, but now you decided, hey, let's let's open up a gallery, like a, an art gallery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had our one-year anniversary was in October, and the way it kind of came about is Jill's been painter and artist forever, and... I recently got back into working on art, and we were outgrowing the space that we had at home. And so we started to look around with this fantasy idea that we'd find some cheap space somewhere for studio space and kind of be able to dedicate some more time to working on our art. So after looking at a bunch of commercial spaces with a real estate person and realizing how expensive they were, we found this space over on Leavenworth Street that was about a third of the price of anything else that we were looking at. Still more than we wanted to spend on studio space, but getting 2,000 square feet for a fraction of the normal cost made us say, okay, what, what else could we do with this space? Because, and I assume part of the reason it was a little bit more is because it's, it's facing the street. Like, yeah. you have a storefront mm-hmm. and, and studio space, like design space, you're like, hey, do you have a basement somewhere? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a place that's only accessible yeah. via back staircase? Yeah. Any room with a window. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. How anywhere. little can we pay for whatever shitty right. space you have is usually what becomes a studio. And then the minute they actually say, oh, we have an address in your storefront, you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because we had, we had come from working in our home basement, and Brian was literally in the food and tool pantry with about three feet of space. <laughs> you should see it is impeccably organized, you know, in that tiny space. But And then stuff was stacking up in the one room that was considered the studio. Things and then you're like, hey, I've got this idea, and you're like, oh, the canvas is 37 inches. It no longer fits in my... <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'd had this idea for a different approach to a gallery for quite a long time. And so then when we found that we'd have a ton of space, what do we do with the rest of this space? Well, do we make a co-working space? Do we sublet it? Do we make it into artist studios? And we went through a whole bunch of different ideas and decided to just keep it simple and let's try this Airbnb of galleries kind of an idea. And so that's what became Split Gallery. 
And where, where do people go? You guys have a website, obviously. Yeah, it's at split.gallery. Split.gallery. Oh, there's a Isn't dot gallery? Cool? Yeah. Isn't that rad? I love yeah. That. It's, like they, it's like they created it just for, just for galleries. Yeah. Yeah, and what's you know what's sweet about I mean it's nice that now we found the term we can call it like the Airbnb of galleries and people kind of start to understand a little bit where they they only pay for what they need like if if they just need the space they can use the space they keep one hundred percent of the proceeds if they want us to handle the the event the show or you know the marketing of it or the food or any of that stuff they can just choose what they need. Now I'm not I'm I don't run a gallery I don't know if you know this, so what what is the traditional method like like what's the normal like you like you say you can rent it for whatever but I'm like well it's a gallery aren't they supposed to be rented like how do they usually work? So there's there's a couple of pretty standard models and one is the basic commercial gallery, where the gallery says hey Jill I love your work, uh, we'd like to work with you so we will represent you and we'll sell your artwork for you and we'll find people to buy it and we'll have shows for you every once in a while and in exchange for that relationship then we'll take 50% of the proceeds. 50% is a very standard model. Okay. Some places take less, some places take a little bit more, but essentially what you're doing is you're splitting the revenue with your agent. And that that's what the gallery does is they kind of act as your agent. So you can just make art and give it all to them and they'll sell it for you. And that can work out great because then you don't have to do any of that stuff. Yeah, because if you don't want to do the marketing or whatever, you're right. Yeah. The other model that is very popular is what's kind of called a co-op gallery, where several artists pool together to say, we're all going to split the costs for this, and then I'll work Tuesdays, and you work Thursdays, and then we'll split weekend time, and we'll share the time and the expense of running the gallery. But then we get the space to exhibit and have shows and things like that, and we're all splitting it, or splitting it and chipping in. We didn't want to run a gallery. <laughs> we didn't want to deal with... All the things you have to know and you have to be good at to be a commercial gallery. Um, we didn't want to run a co-op because that's a whole other set of things to have to deal with. But we wanted to have a space that artists could use and to do what they want with. And so our approach is much more like Airbnb where our space looks and works exactly like any other professional gallery would. We've got nice white walls and great lighting. Then we've also got the website and the social media channels and the email list and all of the things that we can do to help market. But what we don't do is say, Jill, I like your work, you can show here. All we do is say, artists, if you'd like to have an event at Split Gallery, sign up for it and pay us, and then we'll help you market and promote it and plan it and execute it to whatever level you want us to be involved. You don't want us to be involved at all, we'll just do the marketing and promotion and clean up afterwards. If you want us to help with a bunch of things, we can hang it, we can do your food for you, we can do as much or as little as you want. Okay. And, and I, Jill, Jill, I think we met originally through AIGA mm-hmm. um, because cause I, you know, you've always helped. And so I know part of it was we'd always try to find a gallery and I know to, to host the, the big show at or every now and then there was another event that would like, hey, we need a gallery. And I remember part of the big problem is most galleries are like, you, you, want, you want to display something for one day but you're not selling anything because for them that you know that that goes opposite of what their entire business model is right so I, I guess in, in a way this this also is just another opening for those type of events as well exactly like art can also be literary arts design community music it can be a venue for any kind of creative well we've even hosted what a graduation yeah we had a graduation party a video shoot a photo shoot 
and of several meetings. And I'm assuming those are things you weren't expecting, probably. Yeah, like we didn't think that it would have a ton of appeal as an event space just because most of the time the walls are blank because if we don't have an event going on, there's not art hanging on the wall. But oh, people have really enjoyed using a gallery setting. And oh yeah, we had a music event too for uh, like a meditative music event. It was really cool. They probably like nothing on the walls. Yeah, they yeah. said that the acoustics were phenomenal. Right, we've got the original wood floor from when the building was first built in 19, was it 14? 1915. 1915. You had to do the eye again. You had to check it I out. I know, I had to, I'm like... But, but I don't think you'd get in trouble if you forgot that. No. Like, oh, I'm off a couple of years, who cares? On that one, I'm, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it's fine. So, it, yeah, the acoustics are beautiful. And the, the thing about it is it's this empty canvas of a space where it can be as elegant or it can be as low, lo-fi as you want it to be. It's, it can be a chameleon to whatever, whatever the client needs. Well, I think it's great. It's split.gallery, and we'll be right back with Jill and Brian. Can only fit, do so fit, much. It, fit into everything else that you do, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, these happen when they happen. Right. So there, there is an AIGA event, you know, in this case... It's coming up, but it's probably already occurred. And yeah. by probably, I mean it's already occurred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think I think the ties to the design community was probably like they're probably like, oh, we we, we can have in a space, and it's kind of a weird one because in this case, they they want to showcase much much like much like Jill, where you're a designer, but you do a lot of art. Right. Uh, they want to say like, hey, are you a designer that does art? Why don't we have a show with that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's there's cases where like we'll go. Um, like we'll brainstorm. We have like twelve ideas that we're trying to figure out which ones to to execute. But we'll we we'll kind of plant the seed of a group show for shows that we would like to host as right. split gallery. Yeah. And I reached out to John and I said, "Hey, there's this idea that's been percolating. I can't manage this one. Like I I'm you know I can't actually curate the show. But what do you think about this? And it's like the People who have, you know, web design and photographer, like we all went to school and, and most of us had a, some of us, I think a lot of us had art classes, foundational art classes. And, and so all of our spare time <laughs> sometimes is doing what we're, I mean, we're passionate about design, but then we come home and we detox by painting or we do, you know, the more creative side that many people haven't even seen or don't even know, you know, photographers who were maybe more focused on corporate photography and um, client work have this other side of, you know, beautiful, artistic, thought-provoking photography that's very artful. And it's just, I think people need to see that because it's the other, it's the other part of us. It's the other side of us. You know, we're not the designer or the web developer isn't necessarily the whole of us, you know. Yeah, and, and we also maybe don't, because it is something we do on the side, we may not have enough for a show or even a half a show where you, you partner right. with somebody else. You're like, I've got like three pieces mm-hmm. that right. I want to show. Because you're not producing, like, you're not an artist full-time. Yeah. So you're not, yeah. So that's the, the perfect thing about curating a show of, like, the community. I, I saw, you know, a local um, designer and Professor Ashley was posting some of her things on Instagram. And I was like, oh, my gosh. People need to see this, you know, off outside of the social media sure. stream, you know, because it's just, I loved it. That just made me giddy to see 
fellow designers also creating art, you know, and very emotional, you know, their, their emotional intention. And much of the time our day job isn't quite as emotional. It depends on the client you're working for. <laughs> That's true. We're doing a lot of B2B right now, and it's not. It's not. If it was, maybe we're working with the, the wrong client on, for, for this sort of work. Right. But yeah, depending on what kind of emotion that you're getting from. Yeah. Yeah. But how is this actually, how is this then, owning, running this gallery and doing art, how does that affect your, you know, you, you still have a day job. of, And where do people go to, to see your, your, I guess, quote, day job? since we've already talked about the gallery. Where do people go to see? Oh, so well, I've got a website with like that just you are you talking about like yeah, like, day yeah. To, like work work? Yeah, work work. So it's just when I when I left Hay Needle, I'd always wanted to I mean for years wanted to build a site just to showcase the work and so it's just Jill Rizzo Jill It's pretty basic. Okay. <laughs> Done client work through the years, regardless of if I'm working somewhere full-time, it's either been like labors of love or passion projects and I fit them in because I, I love them so much or they just, they're making a difference. It's usually education related or nonprofit work. So it, I've, I've always wanted to make the shift over to working for myself full-time just to see what that was like. And I, I loved it. I felt a little isolated though and missed people. <laughs> Oh, right. There is that issue. <laughs> but I really did love working and just designing and just actually just being a designer and not managing for a while. You know, that felt really good to create 100% of the time. But now how is, how is opening a gallery, has that come in back and affected your actual, your, your day job of actually being a designer? Like, is there anything you've learned that, that you're like... I mean, all, and all of a sudden you also have a space to create in that's outside of your house. Yeah, you know, and I thought that I would use the space more to go down to, to, to just work out of the gallery, but it's nice to be able to, I mean, honestly, roll over to the computer in my pajamas and start working <laughs> with. But the gallery space has such positive energy. It's exciting to be down there, um, and it is energizing in a different way when we have gone down there to work on the basement or to get have client meetings down there or to brainstorm with artists about their shows. I want to utilize it more in that way because I always feel so good when I'm down there. It's just hard to sometimes make the move to get in the car and drive when I'm like, I've got so much to do by this time. See, I, I always, I was the opposite. I always thought that, hey, it'd be great. I'll just roll on a bed and I can just work here and then there's no commute. And then I find out that I just don't do anything. So <laughs> I, I, I seem to be better if I actually have an office to have go a destination. to. Even if there's nobody here and it's just me, like just having a destination. I'm like, well, I guess I'm at work now. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Eliminate the other distractions by going to an office yes. or going to a space to work. And there's no distractions around here, as you can tell. Not at all. Oh, it's so peaceful. <laughs> I know this is why I'm like, why don't I go use the gallery more often? <laughs> there is. There's just, I'm, I'm probably at the point of, we were just talking about this today, distracted by so many different things. Like the, the gallery's one thing, the, the design work, which is basically, that's what we do to put food on the table, right. <laughs> what I do, right? So it's it's just hard to know where to be at one time because there's also the meetings I have with clients where I go to their site and that's so it's hard to find a chunk of good chunk of time where I can actually go to the gallery to to work out of so 
Which time is, management. Which means it's really good you didn't do a co-op where you would be stuck there. Oh. We just make yeah. everyone else work those hours. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's... I spend a lot more time down there when we have a lot of events going on because I do most of the cleanup and the prep for the next show and filling in the holes in the wall. And so on on those days, then I usually work from the gallery most of the time because then I can work exactly the way my brain does and do a few little active things for a little bit and then get on the computer and do some of that and then go chase the next thing that pops up and just keep moving from thing to thing, which I like quite a bit. And so we've learned that January and February can be a little bit slower, but we've got a lot of events starting to come up through the rest of the year and and things look to be about six to eight weeks in advance is when people start really getting geared up to start following through and executing with the things that we help them plan. And so we're just in this continuous cycle of how do we contact people that might be interested in doing this, tell them about it, and then help step them through the process for actually following through with it. Right, because this is also something where even if they decide to do it, even if the stuff is ready, they don't they can't just hang it up and have the show that night because there would be nobody would know about it. Yeah, and and so we like to, we've found anything beyond about four to six weeks in advance doesn't really do that much for marketing and promotion of it, but anything much less than that, we start to worry about whether anyone's going to really find out. And then we get it on our list and on our calendar and send it out on our social media channels, and we also give all of the participating artists a good guide of here's how you can help as well. And our goal through... The model is also to help get different audiences to crisscross because certain galleries have certain artists and there's not a lot of overlap between that gallery and the next gallery. And so artists get their own following. And what we're hoping we can do is we can get all these different artists that would normally not be showing at the same space to all get their audiences to know about Split Gallery and get them on our email list and on our social media lists so that then when anybody does come and have an event at Split, different audiences can then be exposed to lots of different artists that they might not have already seen. No, that, 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 makes, that makes a lot of sense. That's the beauty of having, like the, the, having a large group show, like the opening show. How many artists? We had 130 pieces from 104 artists. Wow. Okay, so wait, first off, how big is the studio again? The the gallery space is about a thousand square feet. Okay, okay. So that's that's so there's a lot of walls. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so that was an exciting. A couple of the group shows that we've that we've come up with the idea and hosted. We've tried to get as much art as possible, and then we hang it salon style, which so the art just fills the walls and the sculptures are kind of integrated. And we don't generally um, we map out if there's sculpture how much space we'll have to account for people moving through like the customer experience how wobbly it is right uh-huh. exactly does it need to be anchored to the wall like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but those are just I mean and there's so much positive energy when there are so many artists and then they all bring their groups of, of followers and then it's just it creates this new buzz of, of folks from Omaha from all over the area generally a lot of the art shows we've gone to it's like the same similar groups of people that we've 
that everyone sees going to all the shows. And it's like, how can we get West Omaha down here? How can we get Elkhorn? And it's just like thinking about that. How can we invite artists or encourage artists to to register for these group shows that are from all over the community? Yeah, because it, it, it's a big community, but it's, it's also a very small community, yes. much like the designers in, in town. So. Yeah, the, yep. we have a fantastic art community in Omaha, and everyone is extremely supportive of each other. But just like with any other community, there's little cliques within the community. And that's just the way things work. What we're hoping is that we can be a space where the artists can choose their gallery instead of the gallery choosing their artists. So that anyone that wants to have a show or utilize Split as their gallery can do it, and they can do it on their own terms and on their own schedule. We just tell them what it costs, and we're very fortunate that we have low rent and that you know ultimately running a gallery space isn't all that expensive so that we can really keep the costs as low as possible because we want to help the artists. The, the more that artists can show and exhibit work and keep money, keep what they earn from it, the better. And so we just kind of work with the artists to say, how many pieces do you have to sell in order to pay for your show here? Start thinking of it that way, and then, okay, get some friends, and you all chip in and split the cost, and you can have a show. You can have it when you want, on your own timeline, and we're not going to tell you what you can and can't have in it. It's up to the artist, and we want to put the power and control in their hands instead of us being the gatekeepers of who gets to see what in the community. We'll be right back with Jill and Brian. All right, before we take off, Brian, let's talk. If somebody wants to get into website development, like how'd you get into website development? So this was in the olden days before the web existed and the internet was around. Um, I was online doing all the nerd things that you could do online and studying computer science. Back then, and this was 1992, 93, if you wanted to be an artist, that meant commercial art and graphic design, illustration, that sort of thing. And at that period in time, it was not a lucrative profession in any way, unless you somehow got to get a job at one of the sweet places. I enjoyed computer science stuff. It wasn't something I was really passionate about. And then one day in our computer science class, our instructor said, okay, we're not gonna study C today. We're gonna go and learn about something called HTML. It's amazing and it's gonna change the world. And we're like, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah. And so he shows us how to... C plus is where it's at. Yeah. Um, he showed us how to make a link. A href equals blah, blah, blah. And we're like, that is cool. And so we spent the rest of that class writing your most basic Hello World HTML document. And at that point, I knew, okay, this is something I would like to do. And so I just started following web stuff, web design trends, started making web pages, broke into the school's computer systems so I could get internet access at home without needing to use dial-up and all those things that you did to try to figure it out and so I just started making websites from that point during the dot-com boom got a job doing some really cool stuff database integration with websites wrote my own software for delivering emails and collecting email subscriptions and managing all that and just loved it all along the way shortly after figuring out that I wanted to do websites as a career choice. I changed my major in college to art and finished with a fine art degree because that's what I wanted to do. And I also knew I didn't need any more computer science from that point. 
So it worked I mean, out great. Yeah, HTML at that point, there's only so much that it did. Right, yeah. It, and you could put images on web pages, but there was no CSS. No, it was all it was all inline. Yeah, I, I worked back then. Tables yeah. for layouts on everything. Yep. It wasn't JavaScript integrated into anything. It was really rudimentary and basic, which was great. Except that so many of my skills are still still solidified in that era of things. But but it, but it makes coding emails great because they still code that way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't even have code emails anymore if you're using Mailchimp and the other oh, things right. like that. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I got into it and. You know, then through the dot-com boom and bust, and then, you know, the recovery after that, continued to enjoy building, and, you know, my focus has always been on solving business problems with websites, not just making them look good, but how do you integrate the functionality and the features into the site to help you solve business problems and get things done, and so I've now moved more into the role of helping work with designers and developers and kind of work with the communication between those two groups to help focus on the business problems and getting the best results out of that. And then for the actual like web work I'm doing myself, I'm anymore almost like the gardener for people that have websites and need someone to help take care of things but don't have time or ability to do it themselves or maybe don't hire, don't, aren't ready to hire someone to be on their own team to do it so then they get me. And so then when they need stuff, they call me and I help take care of it. And then when it's a bigger scope of a project than I need or more technical than I can take care of, then I help identify and manage the relationships with the other teams. So what would you say to somebody who says, I want to get into website design or development or get into website development? Any, any, what's the big advice if someone asks? You know, and that's a great question because I, I feel really out of touch with what people are looking for and what it takes to get into it these days, except I think the best advice is just start doing it. There's a lot of places you can go online to start learning how to code, program, and do anything like that. So start with freecodecamp.org and all the different online places you can start learning for free and just start doing it. And the beautiful thing about HTML is you can still go into any web page and view source and you can see the exact HTML and JavaScript that's being used to generate that page. So if you want to figure something out or wonder how they do it, you just go and you can look at it and then you start looking things up and learn how to use Google and search for the things you'd like to figure out and you'll find a dozen places and people who are explaining how to do something. I had I had a classmate that learned how to code HTML just by viewing source and didn't read anything, just started reading web page code and then started doing it. I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you should have some basis before you start looking at it. Well, and it's it's a really different world today because there's a lot of different ways to make a web page. You can use a page generator. You can build it in WordPress. You can do it on a platform like Squarespace. You can write it from scratch in a text editor. And then do you layer JavaScript on top of it? Do you have a database manufacture everything? Do you use a static site generator? There's just... A well, there's a lot more functions you can add to a site than you could have back then, too, which, yeah. mean, which means there's, it's, it's, in a way it's harder to learn because there's so much more. Yeah. But also, I think it's easier, be, it's easier in a way because you can actually just now search how to get there. When, when me and yeah. you would have learned, it was you either found a book or like you had to look at code because there wasn't these yeah. great websites with how-tos. Yeah, I, like, I still no have... <laughs> Yeah. No, no, it was Yahoo was still number one, and it, and it wasn't like Yahoo now. You you like went through categories, and it was it's like a, a 
a curated link list. It, it wasn't yeah. even like a search. It right? was a curated, a human curated directory of links to other websites. And I remember in our early business days of you had to submit your link to Yahoo yes. for human verification. And then they would let you know when they have reviewed it and added it to the index. Those were old times. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the resources to find this stuff is easier now. Oh, uh, yeah. Crazy easy. I still have my HTML4 book. Because that's the best. That was the best resource at the time to learn HTML was a book. That's because, how I learned. I bought a book. Yeah, learn HTML in twenty four hours. I believe was yeah. the title. It, it wasn't all online and categorized and indexed and easy to find. But now, all you need to do is look something up on Google, and you've got as many answers as you could possibly hope for. Jeez, Jill, any advice you have for students who want to not do that and get into <laughs> like regular design? It's funny because every time I'm I'm working on a site design, I say to Brian, "Ah, I wish I, I wish I could code." And he's like, "No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you lose your mind." <laughs> design. I guess my my biggest recommendation is a lot of it is self-taught. I went to a university and I think it was Quark back then, but the, our teacher was a photographer. And uh, with just whip through things so quickly that the back row, like the entire back row, we're like, we're gonna go to Borders, we're gonna pick up books. So we all had like Quark for Dummies and you know different books, and we we huddled in the back row of the class, just making sure we all understood, you know, how to create layout. And what I think is the most important thing is to there's so many places that you can go if you have a graphic design background and you can do so much. You can go in house now. There's more opportunities. There's uh, more small. There's smaller design studios. There's advertising agencies. So it's like while while they're in school, I would recommend maybe getting taking some business classes so you can figure out how to monetize your passion and understand your client side of things. Um, and you don't have to get a business degree, but just a smattering of classes so you can talk the talk with your clients or your boss, depending on where you're going. And then get as many, um, I don't know, get as many side jobs, work, do projects for friends, get internships at different places to see what feels like the best fit because there are so many different places you can yeah, and you go. Yeah, you don't have to, I always tell you, you don't have to stay anywhere if it, no, if it doesn't work out. Nobody. No, you don't have to stay. You know, yeah. it's like, this isn't like our parents' era where... <laughs> gotta stay you stick it out you stick it out donovan yeah <laughs> like <laughs> but that's exciting now like that there's so there's so many places you can go now and i mean even nonprofits have internal design smaller design teams sometimes and communication and with the the era of social media there are more ways to visually communicate than before so it's pretty exciting to go from like a like this print you know, when we, I first started, it was like print, and they had, I don't even, those film machines. I can't even remember the names of the microfiche. I, oh, my gosh. I oh. got, when I got in, it was, it, they, those had just left. Yes. Like, like, we talked about them when I was in school, but mm-hmm. by the time I graduated, those were, like, that stuff was not really used. My very first job was a very small agency, and I actually, I wanted to get, I, so here's another thing take any job just to get the experience literally like there weren't internships really when I when I started and so I just I took an account service job 
because I thought, oh, I can get in as account service and then I could do the design for the clients and I could prove to them that I can. So that's sure. what, so you can flip to design after that. And that thankfully, that's that's what happened. And it, so it was exciting to kind of get to know the client service side and do the design part. But they had these gigantic metal box machines where there were some things that they were still typing into it and would output film. And then we'd send that to the printer and then they would use that to print out um, books. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it it was it should have already been out. They just didn't want to get rid of the machines because they were so expensive. So yeah, when they that's did, that's not a good reason to keep no <laughs> to keep holding on to old technology. No, exactly. Yeah. But it cost us a lot of money. It cost a lot of money. Ten years ago, and it's worthless now. We can't admit that. I, I can't upgrade to Creative Suite because we paid for CS4 licenses. Right. <laughs> like, melt the metal yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing... You also got to cut a hole through the wall to get some of that equipment out. Those things were huge. They were yeah. so massive. I mean, some of them are bolted down to the floors. Well, think they of all just... the places you've seen those revolving doors for the old dark rooms that have been pulled out of old graphic design studios and then stuck somewhere else because you don't need a dark room anymore because you're not doing all the photographic typesetting and things like that. Right. <laughs> so the only now they just don't they just jam the video people in there because they, like, <laughs> they don't like light. Like it ruins yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Another thing that I think is is really important for people who are just getting out to remember is Take the time at the beginning to just learn a bunch of things and absorb and listen. Because a lot of and people who are just entering the workforce want to get in and do the coolest, biggest stuff and ascend as quickly as possible, where you can really learn a lot by just kind of finding out how and why everything is done. You know, get in there and just do that grunt work. Do the production work for a while. Just debug the code. Do the basic layouts and just spend some time absorbing everything. And then you'll get to figure out what specialty you might want or where your interests lie or is the thing you thought you were interested even what you really wanted to do. And you'll learn a lot more about the industry and then start figuring out your specializations and other areas that you might want to work in. And, 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 I was, and those things are going to change too. It's just weird because most people, I mean, you do find a specialization, but sometimes you're like... Yeah. yeah, especially in the web world, because if, if you're inline HTML coding was still your specialization, you wouldn't be doing websites anymore. <laughs> and and I, it's that what you were saying, Brian, reminded me of something, too, is um, I hear sometimes how designers can kind of segment themselves into, well, I'm just a this designer or I'm a this designer because it's what they feel the most comfortable doing. And so I would encourage that thought to just shift and lean into what you're not comfortable with and learn more about it because it's you could be keeping yourself from future opportunities or growth frankly if you don't lean into the discomfort to learn I mean I'm still learning I'm reading like rework again and all these different things because I thought I've lost track of some of this stuff how can I how can I forget about these really important messages and Things that help us do our job better. It's like I have to, it's like a muscle. Lean in, work out that muscle, that design muscle. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, Jill, Brian, thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch up with you later. Thank you. Thank you. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab. <laughs>